0: Um, Well, just look what I read when we read in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper. You guys don't take the Lord's Supper. You guys are all doing your own thing. You come together. Some of you are getting drunk. Some of you are eating all the food. But it's not the Lord's Supper that you're taking. Because you're all focused on yourself. This epitomizes what's going on in Corinth. We're going to see that over and over and over again. They are just a selfish group of people. And so in this Thanksgiving, one of the things we are going to see is a reminder. Paul is going to remind the Corinthian church of the blessings that they have from God. And I think the reason why he reminds them of the blessings that they have for God is because remembering God's blessing is a, rem- is a remedy for the carnality that they are engrossed in. They are a carnal church that loves the world, probably it has replaced its first love of Jesus Christ and is loving themselves more than Christ. And Paul, his first attack, if you will, to bring people back to Christ is to remind them of what has happened to them in Christ. What has God done on your behalf? If you begin to remember the things that God has done, perhaps then we can deal with your division and your selfishness in a much, um, in a much easier way. So we would do well to remember what God has done for us in Christ. I think the overarching message of this, of this Thanksgiving. And the overarching theme of this message today is that God is faithful. God is faithful and we are going to see his faithfulness. And here's how I'm going to outline this message. The overarching theme is that God is faithful. And we are going to see God's faithfulness in the past, in the present, and in the future. So those will be our big um, outline features that God is faithful and Paul is going to remind the Corinthian church of God's past faithfulness, his present faithfulness, and the assurance of his future faithfulness. So that's where we're going to go. Let me go ahead and read um, our text this morning, beginning with verse 4, going on through verse 9. This is the inerrant word of God. I give thanks to God always for you. "...because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift, as you await for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord." As I said, thanksgiving is a key element of Paul's letter, and this one is no different. Paul begins with a greeting and then a thanksgiving. The difference here is the recipients of his thanks. He does not give thanks for the church. He gives thanks for God, to God, for what God has done in the church. So it's very different. If you read and say 1 Thessalonians, you'll see Paul says, I give thanks for your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope. I give thanks that you are partners in the gospel ministry with me. He is giving thanks to the people of the city in which he is writing. But here he just says, I thank God that God has done something in your life. So I find it rather revealing that it's like, Yeah, there's not much to give thanks to you guys about. But there is much to be thankful about what God has done. God, Paul is going to be calling these people to remember what God has done so that they might live their lives in commitment to the God who has done these great things. And so God is the recipient of thanks. And here's what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you. What? Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So the very first thing Paul thanks God for that God has done in the lives of the Corinthian church is that God has given them grace. And grace we will just define, it's been defined many, many ways, but it is God's generous reaction regardless of the recipient's achievements. So it is a, it is, God's generous action regardless of the recipient's achievements. In other words I give you something you don't deserve. You did not earn this. You did not merit this. There is nothing um, that would cause God to to need to give this gift of grace to the people but this is God's generous action. It Therefore, counters the elitism that is rampant in the church. I thank my God always for you because of grace, the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. In other words, none of you are all that special. You've all received the grace of God. The focus of thanksgiving now falls upon God who has done for them in Christ, not upon their own particular qualities. So the focus of thanksgiving is on God, not because you guys are smarter or you guys have greater wisdom, you have more knowledge, you have a certain spiritual gift, you have a certain ability, you are great. No, the focus is not a thanksgiving because they are wise or smart or intelligent or following the right people or rich or whatever. They The thanksgiving is given to God because God has bestowed his grace upon them they need to remember that where we are what we are we are by God's grace we should note that this grace is in Christ Jesus this is such an important phrase you see when a person is converted he is joined to Christ that is what is what happened I just I put it this way what happens to Christ happens to us Or what Christ experiences his people experience. So this can be Christ is the son of God and we are children of God because we are united to Christ. Christ is the Holy Son of God, and we too have been made holy. Christ is righteous, and you and I as believers have been declared righteous because we are in Christ. Christ has eternal life, and so therefore we also have eternal life. Christ is the heir of God, and we are co-heirs with Christ. Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, and we come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Because we are in Christ should note that in Christ we should not be surprised if we suffer as Christ did. But we are joined in Christ. So this grace was given to you in Christ. There is no grace outside of Christ. There is no grace um, towards God that is given, that is separated from, from Christ. This is his free gift to you. So I give thanks to my God for you always because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. As I said, this is dealing with um, the past and these verb tenses are, I don't want to say past tense, but they happened at a point of time in the past. So then we ask, when was it given? At what point in time was this grace given? Well, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 6. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So when was the grace given? When the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. That is, when the testimony of Christ... Was made steadfast or rooted in you. At some point in time, in the past, the testimony of Christ was rooted in you and God's grace poured out upon you. So we have to ask ourselves, what is this testimony of Christ? Well, let me answer. It is the gospel message. Look at, when I look at Acts chapter 20, verse 21, we, we, we see this. Paul is writing and he says, testifying, there's that word, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the testimony of Christ. What is Paul testifying of? He is testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the testimony, faith in the Lord and repentance. Acts 22, verse 18, we see this testimony again. And, and he, and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. What is the testimony that will not be accepted? It was the gospel of Jesus Christ that Christ lived and died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised again on the third day, and that our sin, that sins are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. That was the testimony and God is warning him, get out of the city, that testimony, that gospel presentation will not be received. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, we see the same word used again. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering of the gospel by the power of God. And so when was grace given? It was given when that testimony, the gospel of Jesus Christ was firmly established or rooted in them. Grace was given when the testimony of the gospel was settled and made steadfast in you. There is no grace without a gospel presentation. So, grace was given to them in the past. It came with the presentation of the gospel. And when it was firmly established, God poured out his grace upon the people. What are the results of this grace? Do I just hear of the message of the gospel and then grace is poured out on me and then what? Paul tells us back in verse five that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge. You were enriched in every way when the grace is poured out, you were enriched in every way. And he specifies in all speech and in all knowledge. Let me uh, kind of unpack these terms briefly as we go through the book of 1 Corinthians. These these ideas, these terms, these uh, realities are going to get unpacked in great detail. So I'll just give you a little bit of a hint of where the letter is going to go. But speech, first of all, um, he has given you. He has enriched you in all speech. Now, this could be simply rhetorical skill. Rhetorical skill was held in high regard in um, in Roman and Greek culture. Um, rhetorical skill is just that: the ability to talk. So, lawyers would have been tra- well. People would have been trained in rhetoric, and they might have become lawyers. Um, or politicians. They would have been trained in rhetoric, the ability to speak eloquently. In fact, one of the great um, church theologians, Augustine of Hippo, um, was trained in rhetoric. That was his big thing. He even started a school in Rome, a school of rhetoric to train people. People got their PhDs in rhetoric. If you got your PhD in rhetoric, that was a high calling. So the ability to speak well, and we see also in in Corinthians, both 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that the, the Corinthian church was often swayed by people who had eloquent speech. Paul didn't, they said. Paul's not eloquent in speech. We've got these other teachers who are just awesome in rhetoric and their ability to speak. So it could refer to rhetorical skill. Eloquence, which was, like I said, highly regarded in Roman society, but I think context and the context not only here, but also in the entire book probably refers more specifically to the um, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. You have been, the grace of God was given you that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, all speech, even the ability to speak in other languages that you've never learned. God has done this for you. You were enriched. That is, that something happened to you. God enriched you. He made you rich in something, and that was the ability to speak. The other thing that they were enriched in is all knowledge. Knowledge then would refer to spiritual insight, and we see a couple of good examples. For instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, let me read verses 1 through 6, and this will kind of help us understand what Paul means by knowledge. It says, now concerning foods offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be many so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and for whom we exist as one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge. And so there is this idea of... a uh, Paul is saying, you've been enriched with all knowledge. You've been enriched with all speech, spiritual abilities to speak in other languages. You have been enriched in all knowledge. And of course later, in the, probably one of the most famous chapters in 1 Corinthians chapter 13... Paul says this, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge but do not have love, I'm a clanging gong. I'm worthless. So Paul is saying, listen, God has gifted you and enriched you and blessed you in in all speech and all knowledge. So I give thanks to my God for you always. Because God has poured out the riches of his grace to you. He has gifted you in ways that are admirable and amazing. And he did this through the the preaching and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem. The problem is that their gifting had become a source of division. Well, I'm a little bit better than you. I know more than you. I'm more knowledgeable than you. Yeah, well, I can speak in more languages than you can. Well, I can, I'm I'm better at giving. I actually have a better teacher than you do. And all of these things, they're they're gifting. God had gifted them. But what happened was the gifting had become a source of division. And so just as material riches can prove destructive, so can spiritual riches. They possess the riches of the Spirit but fail to produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so, Paul is thankful He is thankful that God's favor was given to the Corinthians through God, confirming the gospel message among them. God then also equipped them with spiritual wealth. This occurred in the past um, at conversion, and all of this is a work of God. So, God had been faithful to work in them in the past. But God is not done, because God continues to work in them in the present. And now we get into... um, I wasn't going to say it, but present tense verbs. So that you are not lacking in any... Right now, you are... So, God did this in the past, so right now, today, you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God was faithful in the past to do these things. So now, now you have everything you need. God has done... What God has done in the past has present... Benefits. They do not lack any gift. In fact, Second Peter chapter one verse three. Let's see if we have that. Um, there it is. I love this verse. His divine power has done what? Granted to us all things that to pertain to life and godliness. So. You, Corinthians, God's given you everything you need for life and godliness. Right now, you have everything you need. That truth, I believe, applies to the church today and it applies to the church on Randall Place. If you are a Christian, if you are in Christ, you have everything you need for life and godliness. I don't know if I have everything. I don't know if I can overcome. I don't know if I can witness. I don't know if I can share the gospel. No, let me tell you, you can because you have everything you need for life and for godliness. Colossians 2.10 says that in Christ you are complete. What an encouraging word. In Him you are complete. You lack nothing. And so Paul is telling the Corinthians, I thank God that what He did in the past has present benefit. You guys lack nothing. You have everything you need for life and for godliness. There is no room for the spurning of another. There is no room for pride. Each of the Corinthian believers is presently equipped with everything they need by God's grace. All of them are gifted and none of them is superior or inferior because God has given you everything that you need. And he has given you everything you need as you wait for the revealing ...of our Lord Jesus Christ. Present giftedness, folks, is not the goal. Just because God has blessed them with every spiritual blessing... ...is not an indication that they have arrived. Um, But they are awaiting the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Corinthians are in the same place we are in this sense. They lived between the Advents, just as you and I do. There was a first Advent at Christmas, at the birth of Christ... Christ is revealed. But there is a second advent, and that is the physical bodily return of Jesus Christ. In between those two advents, the Corinthians live, and in between those two advents, you and I live. And I think it is fair to make the application that just as they had everything they needed to live their life between the advents, so you and this church has everything it needs to live between the Advents as we await the revealing of God's Son. Now, this waiting is an active waiting. This is not sitting around binge-watching Netflix. This is an active waiting. This would be, I suppose, maybe similar to um, a couple who is going to have a baby. They are waiting. But they're not just sitting around they're preparing a room. They are um, thinking of names. They are perhaps changing, thinking about, well, what about our work schedules? Maybe I have to uh, uh, change the way I do work, or maybe I'll I'll be on leave for X amount of time, and then I'll go back to work in the meantime. Or I'm just going to stay home, and therefore, perhaps income is going to change. But they are actively, they are active in their waiting. The, the baby's going to come. And they are doing stuff to prepare. This is what we mean by as you await. It is an act of waiting. We don't just sit around and say, "Oh, show up anytime, Lord. There's an activity and God has gifted them to do what they need to do in between the advents. And Paul's like, I'm grateful that God has done this for you. God has equipped you with everything you need that you can live a, a vital kingdom-focused life in between the advents. Then we, we might ask that God, so God has gifted them to live between the first coming and the second coming of Christ. Then we would ask, well then what are the, what is the purpose of God's giftings? Why did God, why does God give these spiritual gifts to His people? And I think one of the, the, the obvious answer we see it all over First um, Corinthians 12 and fourteen, but we also see it in Romans one eleven and we also see it in Ephesians chapter four. The reason is to build up the body of Christ. So what is our active waiting? Our active waiting is to build up the body of Christ, to strengthen one another to encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good works, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, to rebuke and exhort one another. He has given us the gifts to do those things. Ultimately, we are to be sharing the gospel so that people become believers who then we exhort and train. And So it is basically we are about kingdom business and God has gifted you as an individual and Church on Randall Place corporately to do those very things. We have everything we need. Oh, if we had a bigger budget, that'd be nice. If we had certain people with certain skills or qualities, that'd be nice. But we have everything we need to do what God has called us to do. He's already gifted us with that. So Paul is thankful that God has gifted the Corinthians with all they need to build up others until Christ returns. So I'll just encourage you this week, build one another up, call one another, text one another, share the gospel with somebody. Proclaim God's good news. If you need to admonish one another, brother, sister, I think you're, you've gone off. And so, Paul then is grateful that grace was poured out to them in the past and brought them to a place of salvation by the testimony of Jesus Christ. He has gifted them. Those gifts continue on in the present and they will continue to be um, useful until the day that the Lord returns. Now use what God has given you. As I said, this message will be about the past, the present, and the future. So now we look at what will God do in the future? so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you, future tense, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. What a great assurance. Christ will sustain you to the end. The grace work of God that was enacted in the past is not going to ebb or erode or wane. Christ will sustain you as you wait for his second coming. You can have confidence in the work of God. I love this. He will sustain you to the end guiltless. That's an amazing statement. You will stand before Christ guiltless. Philippians chapter one, verse six may be one of the most well known passages of scripture on this it says i 'm sure of this I love that i 'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus christ first thessalonians three thirteen says this so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. He will establish your hearts what blameless in holiness at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will sustain his people. So as you wait, you can have confidence in the work of God that he will sustain you guiltless. That's an amazing thing. One day we will stand before God Almighty. I don't know if we will fall on our faces. If we'll, I don't know what's going to happen. But this is what I can be certain of. The blood of Christ has rendered you guiltless. If you are in Christ, you will have no guilt. On that day, the Lord, the Lord has justified you. In other words, he has declared you not guilty. We see this in Romans chapter 8. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? It's a rhetorical question. And then he says, Christ died. It's Christ who died. In other words, who can bring a charge against God's elect? Christ is born the judgment. God, I'm sorry, it says God is the one who justifies. That's probably more accurate there. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? And then the answer to that question is God is the one who justifies. In other words, God is the one who's declared, who can bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who's declared you not guilty. God is the one who's declared you guiltless. There is no higher court in the land. There is no higher judge in the universe. God Almighty has declared you not guilty. Who is going to bring a charge against you? This is what Paul is saying. I praise God that He has done this work in you, that He has declared you not guilty. So, and He will sustain you so that you will be guiltless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perseverance is serious business and there are let me just head off any uh any thoughts or any ideas or any counter um, anyone who might counter this idea because there are a number of passages of text like 1 Corinthians fifteen one and 2, Colossians one twenty three, Mark 13, 13, that talk about that if you continue, if you continue in the faith, that God will do these things if you continue in the faith. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you. It would seem that it is conditional upon me Sustaining myself? I think Paul addresses that question here. He, Christ, will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. God is faithful. Verse 8 is the promise. Verse 9 is the basis for the promise. In other words, the assurance of the believer is not that God will save him even if he stops believing, but that God will keep him believing. God will sustain your faith. He will make your hope firm and stable to the end. Why? Because God is faithful. This is what He does. He began the work in you when you, when He brought a preacher to preach the gospel and changed your, changed your heart, called you to be a saint, gifted you, and is able to to uh, sustain you until the end. God is able to do all of those things because, verse 9, God is faithful. And just let me note this, that the word faithful is in the place of priority. It is in the place, it is in the emphatic position. In other words, we could say faithful is God. And note this. Faithful is God by whom you were called. There's that word again. By whom the sovereign work of God changed your heart to be something that you were not. God is faithful who, who called you into the fellowship of his son. So note the connection. God is faithful. If God has called you, his faithfulness will keep you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Verse 23, we read this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And you were called, God in his faithfulness has called you into a union, a fellowship with his Son. And this calling, as we've said, it is not a mere invitation. It is not a gift that you can take or not take. It is a transformation of the heart by the sovereign work of God. Calling is not a mere invitation. It actually has an effect. It actually accomplishes the task. And in this case, the calling actually places the person in fellowship with Christ. That is, those who were enemies of the cross, those who loved darkness, those those are the ones who are changed by the call of God and are now in close relationship with Jesus Christ. God calls you into fellowship with his son and it is because he is faithful that he will sustain you. The Corinthians, perseverance and guiltlessness is not the outworking of their giftedness but of God who is faithful and Paul gives thanks for that. In other words, you are not going to be sustained simply because you have all of these amazing spiritual gifts or because you can lay hands on somebody and they can be healed or because you can speak in other languages or because you have all knowledge or because you have all wisdom. No, the reason you will be sustained is because God is faithful and the thing he started he will complete. God has gifted you. He has given you these these great abilities, but do not think for a moment that by, that is the basis for your being sustained in the faith. No, the basis for being sustained in the faith is God. And God is faithful. He will do what He began, He will complete what He began. So I'll just, I'll conclude real quickly. Assurance. This is an assuring passage of text. What we teach here, is that salvation is of the Lord. From beginning to end, salvation is of the Lord. It was the Lord who brought whoever it was or whatever, however you heard the gospel message, it was God who intersected those two paths. So when I did not believe in God and I ended up hearing a gospel message that actually changed me, It was God who intersected those two. The group that shared the gospel and me who ran into them. Because I wasn't even going to go where I was going. I was going somewhere else. And God changed my mind that night. And I went somewhere and heard the gospel. And I heard the call. And it wasn't a choice. It wasn't like, well, that's pretty good. No, it's like, I'm following God. From beginning to end, God changed my heart. Salvation is a work of God. This does not then allow for an excuse to sin, which the Corinthians, and oftentimes people use the book of Corinthians, well, this is some really messed up church, and they're sinning, and they've got all these problems, so I guess then it is okay for us to be just as messed up as the Corinthians. They are not our model. Paul is rebuking them. He's not saying you're not Christians. He's saying... It's time to get right. Jesus did not hang out with um, sinners because he was okay with it, but it was for that they would hear the truth of what he came—the truth about the kingdom of God—and be changed. Salvation is a work of God. It is God who confirms his word in you. It is God, then, who bestows his grace upon you. It is God who provides everything you need for life and godliness, and it is God who sustains you to the end. Why? Because God is faithful. So today, I would encourage us, let us be faithful, thankful. It should humble us. It should spur us on to love and good works. It should cause us to speak boldly of the kingdom of God, and it should draw us um, away from any ego or divisions that might try to separate us. It is God who has done whatever you have, you have because God gave it to you. Our Father, we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you, Father, for all that you've done. We thank you because of the grace of God that was given to us in Christ Jesus, that in every way we were enriched in him in all speech and knowledge. We thank you, Lord God, that the testimony of Christ was confirmed among us so that we are not lacking in any gift as we wait for the revealing of the Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain us to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that you are faithful by whom we were called into the fellowship of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Amen.